At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to save you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate. Put everything like today in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Enough hasn't been enough. There's been fear, but not enough fear. There's been capitulation, but not enough capitulation. And that's the story of this market. We just had another horrible day where we thought we'd seen the last of the extreme losses. Uh-uh. Dow tumbling 431 points. That's plunging 1.37%. NASDAQ plummeting 1.87%. Yeah, they got to the NAS. But what you may not realize is that the bond market is the same thing going on in stocks, which is unfortunate because the bond market's a lot more important than the stock market, a lot bigger. And it is leading us by the nose. Just that unless you're a professional investor, maybe you don't realize it. So tonight we got to get an understanding about the tyranny of the bonds, how they are the overlords of stocks, whether we like it or not. And I don't like it. Yep, when the bond market sneezes, stocks get pneumonia. And man, is the bond market sneezing its darn fool head off. They are selling everything in the bond market to get out before, well, at this point, maybe it's just their shadows. We don't even know anymore. Right now, there are four kinds of very motivated bond sellers. There's the Treasury Department, which needs to finance our government's massive deficits. There's the Federal Reserve, which has $5.3 trillion in treasuries in its coffers, another $2.6 trillion in agency mortgage-backed securities. Crazy town. It sells them as a way to shrink the money supply. It's supposed to not be selling the long ones anymore, but they're selling. There are the regular owners of bonds, some of whom borrow gigantic amounts of money to own those bonds. And then finally, there are the short sellers who are trying their best to slam the price of bonds down. And they have been the winners. And you got to hand it to them. They got this right. They can probably keep winning if the Fed raises rates again. And long rates, the 10, 20, and 30-year treasuries don't yield more than the Fed funds, as they most certainly will if this keeps up. Yes, these days it feels like the bond prices go down on anything. Any positive news about the economy? Today we got positive job openings numbers from August, so bond prices plummeted, so yields soared. What else is new? Yesterday we had stronger than expected manufacturing number, rates soared. The benchmark U.S. 10-year has gone from under 4.6% to around 4.8% in just two days. Many are now betting that Friday's employment number will show meaningful job growth, which will bring even more selling. Sell, 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 sell. And you know what? It's perfectly reasonable for longer-term bonds to go down in price and up in yield. For almost my entire career, longer-term bonds had a higher yield than short-term ones to compensate for all the risk that can emerge over time. Only in this crazy period have long rates been so much lower than short rates set by the Fed. That's now changing. It's something I've been worrying about for almost the entire year, particularly in April when that uh, 20 was like three and three quarters. It's now five and change. We're witnessing a wholesale reordering of the bond market. The 10-year, 20-year, and 30-year are, I think, all headed to higher rates than the federal funds rate, which is currently at a range of between five and a quarter and five and a half. And longer-term bond yields will keep rising if the Fed keeps tightening. 
Now, I don't like talking about bonds because bonds are usually very boring, but there is nothing boring about this bond market. Treasuries are trading almost like small cap stocks. That's how I want you to think of them. Think of them like stocks. The owners either can't take the pain, the house of pain. or they've got to put up more money to meet the margin calls because of the losses, and they can't. As long as you understand that bonds can plummet just like stocks, that there are short sellers and vulnerable people who buy on margin just like stocks, then maybe you can get your head around the velocity of this move, which is just stunning. I got to tell you, this bond market meltdown is like nothing I can recall in a first world country, which brings me to the impact on stocks. Right now, as rates go higher, investors are deciding that stocks can't be worth nearly as much as they thought they were. Case in point, something you... You know, in your pantry, yes, McCormick, the spice company. Today, it reported what I thought was an okay quarter with management talking about great strengths in many categories and raising its forecast. If not for China, McCormick, the spice company results would have been incredibly robust, and they think China will eventually turn. In a different environment, you know what? I think McCormick stock would have soared today. <laughs> yeah. But thanks to this relentless tsunami of selling, it ended up plummeting nearly 8.5%. That's the bond market spilling over to what I'm looking at right here. We like McCormick for its consistent mid-single-digit growth and for its popular brands. The company's been a great acquirer of hot sauces and mustard, all sorts of things that you can use to cook at home. Something we learned during the pandemic is pretty good and cheaper. But with rates going nuts, money managers won't give something like McCormick any credit for consistent single-digit growth, not when the stock sells for 25 times earnings. Remember, when rates go higher, Wall Street collectively pays less for future earnings, as demonstrated and as viewed upon by that multiple of 25. It should be smaller, and that means the stock needs to go lower. So instead of rewarding McCormick for its consistent middling growth, we slaughter it because it's not growing fast enough to justify its valuation in this environment. Whatever used to award McCormick for its bland, positive qualities has been washed away thanks to the action in the bonds. Yes, what I'm saying is we're going to pay less for French's as described by the multiple, the price earnings multiple. That's what you have to think about. I know this hard concept to understand. I always go back to my first days at Goldman Sachs when I was quizzed in front of a bunch of people classroom style about what I thought of the stock of Delta Airlines. Oh, back then I had almost photographic memory for the facts and figures of individual stocks. I knew precisely where the stock was. I knew how well it was doing, and I knew how well the airline cohort was doing. I was able to factor in loads, how many people were flying, even knew the revenue per seat mile and the price of jet fuel. Only after all that did I come up with a price target that was about 20% above where it was trading. Whew. Did I think I was smart? I thought I dazzled. Then the instructor asked me, where's the long bond? I, I didn't even know what the long bond was. You know, the bellwether bond. Thanks for that hit. He probed, sensing that my silence had me on my heels. Then he asked, and where's it going? I raised my eyebrows and opened my mouth. Nothing came out. He told me to leave the classroom. What was the point of all that gibberish I just spouted about Delta if I didn't include the action in bonds? He said the bond market determined the future, and you need to shoehorn the facts into that bond worldview. I thought he was kidding. I didn't get up. He said, I told you to get out. I got out. Oh, man, I was petrified. Was I going to be fired? Was I that stupid? Eventually, the class let out. All my, cl- all my classmates filed past me without even looking at me. I was sweating like a husky in the heat. And then the instructor walked out. He turned to me on the way out, and he said, the long bond's the 30-year treasury. He told me what it yielded. He told me where it was in price. He told me it was going up in price and down in yield. And in that situation, there were better stocks to own the Delta. Then he told me to go home. I asked for good? No, he said just for today. And maybe show a little humility going forward, uh, given how little you actually know about what impacts stocks. 
I never forgot that terrifying moment. It makes my job actually easier in days like today. I got pants because I didn't know that bonds were much more important than stocks. And the direction was much more important than anything else, including earnings per share, fuel, revenue per seat mile, and the sector. And bonds were doing crazy stuff then like they are now. Most investors haven't paid attention to bonds in ages because rates were steady to lower. That's over. Right now, we're all in that Goldman Sachs classroom where I was so smart that I made a fool of myself. McCormick, it's Delta 40 years ago. As for me, that was arguably the most important lesson I ever learned. Bottom line, until rates go down, meaning until bond prices go up in price, this cascade is going to continue. Do I think it's overdone? Yes, absolutely. We bought stocks today for the Chapel Trust because they crushed the NASDAQ. And our provision is always that we buy stocks on these big, bad days. But if rates keep rising, we'll lose money on those stocks because bonds are in charge for now. And they aren't allowing stocks to rally. They're only allowing them to fall. Bill in Massachusetts, Bill. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. Booyah, Bill. What's happening? Hey, I got a question on you. What do you think about picking up a little MongoDB? Okay, I think MongoDB is an amazing company. Reported a fantastic quarter. Right now, with interest rates going high so quickly, people don't want to own MongoDB. But you know what? I actually think of the quarters that we had of the enterprise software, you got the best one. So what? I would put on a little bit, not a lot, because that is the kind of stock that's going down. But boy, if things turn with the bond market, that stock's up 50 straight points. So I like your, I like your gumption. Chris in Washington. Chris. Hey, Jim. How are you? Well, Chris, after a tough day like today, I got to rethink a lot of things. How you doing? About the same. Okay. Yeah, I hear <laughs> um, you. Th- appreciate being on the show, and thanks for everything you, uh, you do for us home gamers. Oh, uh, you're true. You you're true about- for saying that. Yeah, no, thank you very much. Um, I heard what you said about Kimberly Clark and the consumers not trading down on certain products this morning. Does that thesis carry over to retail store profits? And what do you think about Kroger? All right, so uh, it, my thesis, that thesis does, does spill over, as you're right. And Kroger is doing what I think is a very good uh, merger with Albertsons. The problem is, is that deal's being uh, reviewed by Lena Khan at the FTC. And as much as Kroger's doing everything to make it so that it would work, I think Lena Khan, unless she finally gets a little uh, pro capitalist attitude, uh, is going to try to block it because that's her nature. Uh, Her dogmatic nature bodes poorly for Kroger, even though the merger would be a good one for Kroger, for even the employees. And it would be one of the largest union companies in the country. Right now, the bond market is in charge of stocks. And until the the moving rate starts to stabilize, this cascade of selling will continue. Is it overdone? Absolutely. But what does that mean these days? We may have money tonight. Basis announced today that the company's doubling down on smaller format stores uh, in, in a move that gets the iconic retailer less dependent on the mall. I'm learning more about this new plan with the company's incoming and outgoing CEOs. Then, with an economy like this one, the Federal Reserve is watching the labor market like a hawk. So I'm, walking, like, I'm watching like a hawk by going to paychecks. Yes, I'm learning about what they're doing and how they see the small, medium-sized businesses and how they're faring and what we can reduce before the Fed makes any action. And after reporting a strong quarter in August and giving up most of his post-earnings gains, are investors getting a buying opportunity in the specialty vehicle maker that is Oshkosh? I'm getting latest from the CEO and checking out its latest innovation from the front of the New York Stock Exchange. You don't want to miss that. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? 
Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Now is the time to bring new ideas to your industry. And T-Mobile for Business has the advanced 5G solutions to make that happen. We're helping rethink patient-doctor interactions with real-time data sharing. We're tracking carbon with 5G sensors to help fight climate change. We're partnering with cities to connect roadways, cars, and drivers to minimize injuries. Disruptive thinking deserves a disruptive partner. So let's get started on what's next for your business. Step up your innovation at T-Mobile.com slash now. with the beaten down retailers is a very tough environment for all things brick and mortar. Take Macy's, very well-run company, but when they reported the latest quarter back in August, stock plunged 14%. It was primarily because their credit card business came in weak. At this point, Macy's now sells for less than four times the midpoint of their full-year earnings forecast. If they can make the numbers, this makes the stock ridiculously cheap. Wall Street's clearly skeptical. Let's talk about the conundrum with Jeff Nett. He's the excellent chairman and CEO who will be retiring in February to be succeeded by Tony Springs, also here, the president and CEO-elect, who's been running the Bloomingdale's division since 2014. Gentlemen, thank you for coming down to our humble abode. It's great to be here, Jim. Congratulations to you, Tony. Thank you very much. And Jeff, you've done tremendous things. You've got... Uh, you fixed the balance sheet to a degree where I feel much more safe. You've got the free cash flow doing great. You've got a business that is humming. And then last quarter, you did not do the credit card number. And suddenly everybody said, all this means nothing. It's the credit card. Could you, before we talk about the future, explain the past and whether that makes any sense to you? So I tell you about the credit card is that we saw certainly, I think that in all of retail right now, you've got a customer that is, is under, under stress. And so you have these rising credit balances that is happening in the industry. And so that's what we were calling out. We saw higher delinquencies in the second quarter, and that's what we reported. Um, that, though, is now we're not standing still. We have a very healthy credit portfolio. We work with our partner, which is Citibank, and we really work on underwriting strategies. We're going to retain a healthy credit bar, uh, uh, portfolio. We're also working to make sure that we are attracting new customers. We're migrating existing customers. And we're making sure that we do that with this healthy balance sheet that we have. All right, so we so, feel good about that. Okay, so Tony, I look at the balance sheet and it, I see the free cash flow. Let's put it that way. The free cash flow is bountiful, which makes me feel that what your incoming CEO, do you have to look at the uh, the, the bonds that are due in 2029 and 2028? Or can you focus on how to generate great returns and grow the business? Which is the way you're going to be approaching things? Or do you have to do both? I think you have to do both, Jim. I think the out years come before you uh, know them. But our, our, obviously, our short-term focus with the team is uh, delivering profitable sales growth. We have these five growth vectors. Today, we announced the 30 new Macy's small format stores. So that's a key part of our growth is to have a balanced uh, portfolio. But it's also leaning into the success of Bloomingdale's and Blue Mercury and luxury. It's also the private brand uh, portfolio and making sure that we have a modernized assortment of private brands and market brands. Uh, this is the, the strategy in making sure that our short-term objectives, that the team is focused and delivering, and at the same time paying attention to what happens in the out years. All right, so you come from Bloomingdale's, which has been 
a tremendous performer. Even when things are tougher, it does well. Uh, what I see is 34 Bloomingdale's. And I'm wondering, should that be 70 Bloomingdale's? And there should be maybe fewer Macy's because when you got a good hand, don't you put all your money behind it? I love Bloomingdale's. I've grown up with Bloomingdale's. I'm glad you and uh, your family love Bloomingdale's. Well, my wife, too much. <laughs> you can never buy too much, okay. Jim. 2022, best year, best sales year, profit year, service year. So team's done an incredible job. And it's all about curation of product and the delivery of a, a better experience for the customer. Retail is theater. And so I believe in the growth of uh, Bloomingdale's. We have opportunity to grow stores. They have their own small format concept called Bloomies. We have the opportunity to grow the off-price business. We've got a successful small division within Bloomingdale's and their online business with the launch of Marketplace just a couple of months ago. So Bloomingdale's is a growth vehicle. That doesn't come at the exception of uh, Macy's because we're talking to different customers and we obviously can learn from one another without becoming one another. All right. So, Jeff, what did you tell Tony when he took the job? You've been only there six years. We have a, uh, you can't believe we have a terrific relationship with each other and I'm really grateful for it. What did you say to him about, uh, about what Wall Street thinks about your company? Well, you know, he's been at my side for the last number of years. So we've been in the same business, and we basically have known each other for 20 years. We were directors of stores together. He was running marketing. I was running merchandising. So I know Tony really well. And one of the things I was very excited about when the board made the decision to put it all in with him is that he's got this amazing tool chest. When you look at what he does in terms of innovation, brand building, what he does with talent development, he was absolutely the right choice. So we've had six months together where we're kind of passing the baton on various subjects. Still the CEO, but he is learning very quickly. We've got another four months to go. And so he's really understanding what the street believes in us. He understands that the imperative is to get profitable growth. That's what we're focused on. We know we're going to do that through our growth factors. And because of the fact that we have no debt maturities for a number of years, right. we have flexibility. So we are staying very, you know, the operational efficiencies that we've honed through the pandemic, the opportunity to take customer signals and really work on our customer centricity and really go where the customer is going and having the muscle to be able to do that is something I'm proud of. And he's going to take it to the next level. OK, well, Tony, so what do we do here? We got uh, Cole sells it. Uh eight times earnings. We, we've got Nordstrom at, at seven times earnings. Uh, these are retailers that I think are, you're either better or comparable to, let's be charitable to them. Uh, how come they have such higher price earnings multiple when you guys do many things right? We've got to keep telling our story, Jim. I think okay. you opened with the fact that we're a portfolio company. Yes. We've got Macy's, Bloomingdale's, and Blue Mercury, three great brand names within retail. So how do we lean into that? The five growth factors. How do we make sure we get credit for luxury? How do we make sure we get the multiple associated with uh, the beauty businesses? How do we make sure that private brand is not only accretive in margin, but a differentiator within our assortment at uh, Macy's? So we have these strategies. I think the time is necessary to make sure that we tell our story as a portfolio company that has the optionality between the different uh, areas to win the business. Remember, it's on mall and off mall now. It's right. digital and physical. It's uh, off price and full price. So this is a, a, a stock that you can invest in and feel confident that it's going to be there in good times and also in the tougher times. Well, you mentioned the portfolio uh, 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 companies, and I look at Blue Mercury, which is Maybe I look at Ulta, I look at Blue Mercury, look at Sephora. Blue Mercury can be those. It can really grow. At what point can that become a actual driver where people should say, I'm not selling this thing at three, four times earnings. They got Blue Mercury. 
I'm with you. Ten quarters of comp store sales growth. We've got uh, Mally Bernstein is the new CEO of uh, Blue Mercury, a terrific team she's assembled. They're an entrepreneurial group. They are focused on growth. They've got a great neighborhood concept where they're in all the affluent neighborhoods around the country. Opportunity for growth. We've given them the capital to really add to the store portfolio, build the digital business, strengthen the loyalty program. So expect to hear more about Blue Mercury in the future. All right. So one of the things that I think that you had to deal with, Jeff, that people don't realize is you had a tremendous amount of tourism when you took over, including tremendous amount from Asia, from China. It seems like that right now uh, Macy's at Harold Square is, is not visited as often by tourists. Big strong, strong dollar, maybe not from China. Is that just something beyond anyone's control? What I would say is that Tony and I talk about that tourism is going to be a tailwind. So when you think about this, it's not going to be a tailwind in 23, maybe not in 24, but it will be. When you think about almost 3% of Macy's Inc. business was on international tourism, right. we think we got about half of that back. Okay. That's a point and a half of comp that is coming in the future. Now, and I do want to know, holiday season, what are you thinking and what are you thinking? Uh, because it is a huge part of your the percentage of your business. So when you look at it, we are more penetrated as a holiday destination than other retailers. Right. And so this is something that we start the moment we finish holiday of 22. Sure. We started on 23. So as we said at the end of the second quarter call, we feel very good about our Christmas strategies. We were just out in Jersey City looking at the early setups of that particular, uh, all those concepts. And we're feeling quite happy about it. So stay tuned. We feel very good about right. the role the beauty is going to play, the role of gift giving. Think about the Macy's brand is when you think about those pieces of the business, it's a third of the business when you're in the first three quarters. Right. It's over 40 percent in the fourth quarter. And those businesses are really ripping. Right now. And Tony, what are we going to be buying? And this is where we shine. This is about variety. So whether you want cashmere or you want a fragrance gift or you're, you're looking for a small leather accessory, a wallet, a handbag, something for the home, this is where department stores shine. And I think it's our opportunity at both Macy's and Bloomingdale's to be the gift destination this holiday season. Well, what can I say? Look, I'm, I, can you come on again? Because you're not leaving for a couple of months, Four right? months, Jim. All right. And we want to certainly drop by... Uh, Hurl Square, if you don't mind, and we're going to okay. stop at the toys, to toy area, which we think is so much fun. Uh, it has just been great in our time working together, and I can't wait to be working together with you. And it is working together. That's how I feel. What can I say? I don't mind saying it because it's how I feel. It's what I believe. Jeff Gannett, CEO of Macy's, Tony Spring, Macy's CEO elect. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Thank you, Jeremy. Great to be Thank you. Coming up. A 360 view of the economy. Dig into the indicators with paychecks next. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. On a day where both the stock and bond markets plummeted, in part because we got an especially hot August job openings number, you need to remember that the Federal Reserve is watching the labor market like a hawk because if employment's strong, it means that they have to raise rates. And they got to do it maybe much more than people think. That's why it's so important to keep up with companies like Paychex, the second largest payroll processor in America. It's focused on small and medium-sized businesses with a human capital management kicker. 
Last Wednesday, Paychex reported a terrific quarter, a modest earnings beat, inline sales, management raising the high end of their full-year forecast, stock jumped 3.4% single session. Since then, like many other stocks, it's given up more than half of that move thanks to the market-wide carnage. So let's check in with John Gibson. He's the president and CEO of Paychex. He had a better read on both the quarter and the overall employment landscape. Mr. Gibson, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, it's always great to be with you. Ah, thank you, John. Well, let's go right to it. The job openings number this morning, incredibly strong. And I'm wondering, given the fact that you have correctly, I think, laid out a sustainable increase in how things are going, Weren't you have to be surprised that it was just such a huge leap in job openings, given everything that the Fed's been trying to do to slow the economy? Well, I, I think, Jim, uh, wasn't, it wasn't surprised. Let's remember the Joe report was down last month. Now it's up. We, we've got a lot of different stats out there. I think what we're seeing is small and medium-sized businesses continue to be very resilient in the face of uh, really a lot of challenges. Um, and I think really... They're turning to companies like Paychex we announced, as you said last week, they're turning to our technology and advisory solutions to really help them navigate what is really a tight labor market, which is one of the things I've been talking with you about for over a year, which is that's one of the drivers of a lot of these employment numbers you're seeing. Well, in your conference call, which was just terrific, you talked about the idea that there are still many businesses that are forming and many businesses that are expanding. At the same time, the Fed sat down with some small business people in Pennsylvania yesterday, and they gave them an earful. If they gave them an earful, why are people expanding? I would think that they should be contracting. Well, look, Jim, I, I think we keep saying it. Uh, Small business owners are very resilient, and they see a lot of opportunity out there. As you said, business starts were actually up last month. We've continued to see uh, a good, stable environment for small, medium-sized businesses. Again, relative to the Fed action, we continue to see wages, uh, wage growth cooling. Uh, we saw the lowest growth um, we've seen in two years. If you look at our leading indicator, month after month, the last five months, it's been under 3%. I think the Fed action is working in terms of cooling the wage inflation out there. And I think the real reason why you're seeing these employment numbers, again, is more about there is a labor supply problem, finding high quality labor. Well, it did seem to me when I read through your quarter that what do we really want out of an economy? Don't we want good growth with kind of not not wage inflation, but just kind of stable wage increases. It was almost like, well, this is perfect. And yet all I ever hear about is complaint, 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 stock market going down, rates, rates uh, soaring. And yet all my life, I've wanted it to be exactly like it is right now. What's wrong with this picture? Well, I don't think there's anything wrong. And I think that, as you pointed out, small, medium-sized business owners are voting with uh, their, 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 their pocketbook. They're opening businesses because they still see opportunities in a stable macro environment. And that's what we saw. And that's really the reason why, as you pointed out, we were able to report last week, really strong earnings growth, 7% revenue growth, 11% earnings growth, um, really strong double digit uh, sales, new sales growth in our HR outsourcing, our digital offerings. And we were able to raise uh, guidance on earnings per share and, and guided the street to the top end of our revenue. Well, another thing that your company does, you do this tremendous small business watch readout. And it does seem like that there are parts of the country that are red hot and they're not necessarily what people would think. Why don't you talk about some of the areas that right now are very strong in this country? Yeah, Jim, you know, when you look across the index, our index, uh, job index, we just released it today, is really showing two things. 
One is stable, moderate job growth, just what we talked about, uh, uh, employment growth. We're also seeing cooling in the wage inflation. Continued for the last 18 months, the South continues to be red hot. We see places in the Midwest, surprisingly, also very strong. The laggards have continued to be uh, the West Coast and in uh, portions of the Northeast. But now, really, the South is winning. Where the taxes are so high. Now, I always think part of the reason why you need paychecks and why I know I use paychecks is because of things like the Secure Act 2.0. I mean, this stuff happens. We're busy working. OK, we don't know about any of this stuff. We just don't want to get in trouble with the government. This is another one of those things I thought it was really hard to understand. So I guess what you do is you call paychecks and they explain it to you. Well, Jim, you're really pointing to the fact of why we continue to have such strong uh, revenue growth, and that is our HR advisory solutions are really resonating. As you pointed out, it is extremely complex to be an employer today. The rules are constantly changing. It's very difficult to engage your employees, and government's co- constantly coming up with new regulations. And in the case that you just mentioned, in retirement with the Secure Act 2.0, we're advising small and medium-sized business owners that they can actually open a 401k plan to make them more competitive against large employers in this tight labor market. They can actually get the setup fee back in a tax credit, and then they can actually match up to $1,000 for their employees and get that money back into a, in a tax credit. I think it's an excellent way in which policymakers are helping support small and medium-sized businesses who, who you know, really are the drivers of the economy. At what point do we see uh, the massive immigration that a lot of people like or didn't like, but where these people can join the workforce and perhaps uh, make it so it's not so tight? I'm not being political. I'm just saying, at what point are people uh, are, would paychecks say, yeah, that person is allowed? Because that's what I use paychecks for, is to try to figure out whether I've got people that I'm allowed to employ or not. Yeah, look, I think the tight labor market and all of the factors that are going into that, as you said, the immigration issue, the retirement of baby boomers, uh, the fact that the birth rate is really low. There was a great article in The Wall Street Journal last week that really laid out in about six charts what the problem is in the tight labor market. And the fact of the matter is policymakers are going to have to do something to address that. I think there's two real angles for policymakers. How do we keep more people into the job market? How do we get more people into the job market? And second, how do we support small and medium-sized businesses and really all businesses and their ability to invest in technology and other productivity enhancers? Because we certainly are going to have to increase productivity if we want to grow the economy as the labor as the labor uh, supply continues to shrink. Well, you're a great advocate for your company and for small, medium-sized business, which, as we do know, provides almost the entire growth to the U.S. economy. I want to thank John Gibson, President and CEO of Paychex. Love having you on. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. All right. Man Bunny's back here from the break. Coming up, put your portfolio into gear. This Midwest company could be a Wisconsin winner. Stick with Kramer. Better days walling about the relentless rise in interest rates that keep making the stock market melt down, or we can search for interesting opportunities because this sell is creating a lot of them. Consider the case of Oshkosh Corporation, which makes special purpose vehicles and equipment for construction, defense, airports, and local governments. At the beginning of August, Oshkosh reported a remarkably strong quarter, just a massive earnings beat, with management raising their full year earnings forecast from $6 all the way up to 8 bucks. In response, the stock jumped 10% that day from 92 to north of 101, then it ran all the way to 106 at the highs a little over a month ago. 
As we know, the markets turned negative since then. Oshkosh has given back nearly all those post-earnings gains, with the stock slipping to 93 and change today. You're getting that magnificent beat and raise quarter for almost free. Don't take it from me. Let's dig deep with John Pfeiffer. He is the president and CEO of Oshkosh, who's here with his company's new e RCV. That's Electric Refuse Collection Vehicle, the latest in a long line of purpose-built electric vehicles like fire trucks that we saw before, postal service vans. Mr. Mr. Piper, I am very excited to see you back on Man Money. Yeah, it's great to, to be sir. here, Jim. All right, so let's, uh, I want to talk to you about so many of these things, but behind you is maybe one of the most beautiful, looks like a museum piece, but it's not. <laughs> it's a real truck. Yeah. Why is it so important that the refuse companies buy your trucks. Yeah, so this vehicle that you see today, this is the ne- next in a long line of electric vehicles we've been bringing out in every market we serve. This is a really important vehicle. This is a this is a real product. This is a sellable unit. This one. We, yeah, this one it. right here. We All just right. announced a, an order with Republic Services, Company. great customer of ours. We'll start supplying them this year and then, of course, a lot more next year. This is a revolutionary vehicle because not only is it fully electric, zero emission. We all know the dangers of diesel particulate in our communities. Nobody wants it. This takes all that out, makes it perfectly silent. But this, the, the thing that's so revolutionary about this vehicle, first time there's ever been a fully integrated environmental services vehicle developed. What that means is it's not a third-party chassis with a body slapped on right. the back that's, that's not built. optimized for the vocation that's being done. This is optimizing for the vocation. The driver's comfortable in this vehicle. It's laid out for them to be ultimately productive and really, really safe. They've never had that in the industry. It's going to drive a lot of improvement. And again, it's clean. And I would imagine uh, in Europe they know the importance of not having diesel. Yep. What happens if we adopt the European laws? Well, our communities will get cleaner for sure if we're going to continue to go to electric vehicles that are in our cities. Uh, I think that that's probably pretty clear to everybody. All right, so John, last time we saw you, you had an electric fire truck. Any uptick there? Take absolutely. We're we're building more. We go now. We release that for sale in 2024. Right. But we've got them in Gilbert, Arizona. We've got them in Portland, Oregon. We've got them in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, those customers are 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 basically taking the validation units and giving us feedback on it. It's going extremely well. You're going to see electric uh, municipal fire trucks in communities come online year over year over year starting next year. Again, something we want, especially because they idle in front of fires. Now, we want them to preserve, obviously, firefighters' job is paramount to save lives, but we don't want dirty fire trucks, nor do we want dirty post office trucks, right? We do not, yeah. And what's going on there? So the postal, you know, we've got the contract to replace the entire fleet of postal vehicles. These are the delivery vehicles that the postal carriers use Every day, they come by everybody's house and business every single day. Those are 75% of what we supply will be electric vehicles starting from 2024. Now, the government recently changed. They put $3 billion toward electric. So that's got to play into your hands, too. Yeah, Yeah, it was great for us. The first time Congress has ever appropriated money for the United States Postal Service. And they did it so that they could electrify the fleet faster. So it gave the Postal Service the ability to put charging infrastructure in place more quickly and order more battery electric versus internal combustion units. That's why I say they'll have 75 percent of the of the first order be electric. Is there a way that we can speed up charging time? Um, Well, that's not our area of expertise, but we do 
We do a lot of work with charging software, and okay. optimizing the charging management of a battery is really critical to the life of the battery. So this battery is designed to last for the entire life of the truck. You don't have to replace the battery. That's done through battery manage charging management software. You never want the battery to get depleted too much. Right. You also don't want to overcharge it. You have to do that with software to make sure you're going to get the best life and the best efficiency out of that battery. All right. Now, I don't, I like to stay with electric, but I was so impressed by, since I've seen you, this Aerotech, Aerotech. acquisition, yep. because there's tremendous demand for that. Yeah. Another great place yeah. to be. Yeah. Aerotech, great acquisition for us. We made the acquisition, closed on it 60 days ago. Um, this is right in our wheelhouse. It's all purpose-built vehicles for people who do tough work. And where is everybody investing today? In capacity for airports and to, su to support airlines. If you listen to all the CEOs of the airlines, the heads of the airports around the world, they all need more capacity. Right. We give them the ability to put more capacity in because we do jet, uh, jet bridges, we do all the ground service equipment at an airport. We have the technology to electrify it. We've got the technology to make to do autonomous functionality for that equipment to drive more productive uh, operation at an airport. And then one last one, uh, JLG, obviously yeah. doing incredibly well. JLG's moving doing These, It's just another yeah. fantastic acquisition. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, JLG doing extremely well. The demand for JLG is fantastic. Looking forward into the future. Well, I got to tell you, you just seem to just hit it exactly where it is going to go. And that's one of the reasons why your company is doing so, so well. All I can tell you, sir, is, is that that's a thing of beauty. And you and I should go on a ride right after. I understand you took it right over the bridge. Yeah, we we should go right back and enjoy it a couple hours ago. Yeah. John Pfeiffer is the CEO of Oshkosh Corporation. Great quarter, of course, because they've got the right things to sell. Mad Money's back at the end. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round, next. It is time, it's time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, dad, time for the lightning round. I'm gonna start with uh, Daniel in Illinois, Daniel. Hey, Jimbo. With yo, yo. Around the corner and the ongoing plunge in the overall market, how are you seeing retail chains like Columbia Sportswear? Well, listen, big guy, I got to tell you, I think Columbia Sportswear is actually inexpensive, but it doesn't matter. The estimates probably are going to have to come down, so we have to hold off buying it. Let's go to Philip in California. Philip. Thank you, and booyah from San Diego, Jim. I'm well, looking San to Diego. start a dividend portfolio, and I'm thinking about tea. What do you think? No, you're going to have to hold off on T because I do think that they have so much capital spending that they have to do. And right now, I don't like ATT or Verizon. They have to refinance. They've got a lot of problems. They have too much bonds. Just trust me. They're not necessarily the right stocks unless rates go down. Let's go to David in California. David. James, chill. Lifetime free American here, buddy. But first there you go. Guy. Listen, Thank you. Have you talked yeah. to your old buddy about Rick Hill, about the former Norton Lightlock company, Gen Digital? They've done this Avast deal. But they're just languishing in the high school. Yeah, I know. But and no, Rick, I, well, I have talked about a bunch of things, but not about Gen, Gen Digital, which is exactly so uh, Norton LifeLock. Uh, it is inexpensive, and I like the CEO very much, but it just does not have the, uh, you know, it's yield three. It's not really, that doesn't have the great growth that I need to see right now from the other cybersecurity companies. This is the way it is. Let's go to Stephen in New York. Stephen. 
Hey, I'm looking at Zebra Technologies, and it's way down from its high. Oh, I know. Can you believe that? I, you know, I got to tell you, this is a very, very good company, but things are, people are not paying 23 times this time times earnings for this kind of company anymore. They're just not. So we're gonna have to stay away for now. Let's go to Carl in California. Carl. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Is Mostec a broken company or a broken I, No, but Mostec is actually exactly what you should be buying. It's going to do incredibly well with the infrastructure money. The stock has been straight down, down 20%. That makes no sense to me. I'm saying it's a buy. You buy small here and you buy on the way down. Build a pyramid. Pyramid of lower, lower, buy, buy, buy. Let's go to Garrett in Wisconsin. Garrett. Hi, Jim. Hi, Garrett. Yeah, Corp is down uh, to a new low. Yeah, it's hideous, but we got to get Bracken Darrell on. Now, we know Bracken Darrell from Logitech. We got to find out what he is thinking, what he's going to do. Maybe too early, but Bracken, you know you're welcome on the show anytime. I'm going to Sandy in New Jersey. Sandy. Hi, Jim. How are you? I am good, Sandy. How about you? Good. So, question about OPRA, Oprah. What are your thoughts? I don't know that one. That's. You got me. You got me puzzled, and I'm puzzled. I'm puzzled. I have to come back. I'm gonna do a little. His, I'm gonna do a little homework on that one. Let's go to Andrew in New York, in Nevada. Andrew. Hi, Jim. How you doing? I'm doing. I'm uh, trying to hold up here. I'm doing like you know, best I can. How about you? Enjoy watching your show. Thank you. Yeah, I had a I had a question about the stock uh, Groupon. I the thing has been a horse. Um, I can't believe it's been a horse. It's like, like bookies.com and people feel it's giving you a bargain. I don't know. I would not buy it up here. It's too high. Let's go to Jeff in Wisconsin. Jeff. Hi, Jim. I love Jeff. your show. Thank I'd you. Like to get your opinion on a new position in CNQ, Canadian Natural Resources. I happen to be in favor of Canadian Natural Resources. I happen to like that. I look, I like oil and gas. I, they have very inexpensive properties. It's a good situation. Be careful. It's up 13% for the year, and they're taking everything down. But I think you can buy that one. It's very, very good. Now we're going to go to Deke in Pennsylvania. Deke. Yeah. Hey, Jim, man. It's good to hear you. What's happening? Um, I'm glad you mentioned this morning the fact that some people, everyday people, don't have the money to purchase name Jeez. brand products, let alone stocks. No, you they can't. very sincere on that. That's good they to hear. They can't. Uh, Thank you for that. Thank I got some Teradata stocks. Yeah. What okay. are the benefits of... Look, big data is still big. And I've got to tell you that what people are worried about is there's only 22 times earnings. They want to pay for that. I think big data is fine. I like turd data. I just do. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, Kramer revisits the post-COVID travel boom. What's it mean for your investments today? Stay tuned. the action, not only is the pandemic completely behind us, so is the post-pandemic. Case in point, travel. After COVID, we saw a massive change in consumer behavior. Everybody wanted to see the world have a great time. I call it the long-on-money, short-on-time thesis, because after seeing so many people pass away from the virus, people realized YOLO only the once. Wall Street piled into the cruise lines, the airlines, the hotels, anything experiential, not to mention the bookings companies and, of course, Airbnb. And then so did the public. One by one, though, this thesis has dissolved right in front of our eyes. Just the stocks, not the companies. Traveling to theme parks? Have you seen Disney stock lately? Even though theme park attendance has been through the roof, the market decided it must be peaking. 
that the enthusiasm is gone, pricing is too expensive. In reality, none of this is true. Disney's theme parks are booked. As far as I can see, Wall Street doesn't seem to care about that, though. The analysts have tepid forecasts for theme park growth because of higher gas prices and depleted savings as we get further away from the COVID-era government handouts. How about the airlines? After flying high for a while, the airline stocks got grounded as fuel costs soared, tourist travels uh, slowed, and more domestic flights were added, hurting the airline's pricing power. Didn't help that high-spending business customers never really returned to their pre-pandemic ways, thanks Zoom. Again, the analysts are all convinced that travel can't possibly remain as good as it's been, and they're convinced the premium leisure business, the replacement for business travelers, will peter out. So, estimates slash, slash, slash. Notice, this is all forecast, not reality, but that's the mindset right now. It doesn't matter. The only positive I've seen for the airlines is kind of a humorous piece from Jeffries last week called Way to Go, W-E-I-G-H, Airline Implications of a Slimmer Society, which posits that this new class of GLP-1 weight loss drugs will save the airlines' fortunes. Yet passengers are overweight, and any meaningful weight loss could save the airlines a bundle on fuel costs. I kid you not. But if that's the most bullish case for the airlines, uh, well, you can see how negative Wall Street's gotten on this group. Then there are hotels. They raised prices endlessly. Have they peaked? Marriott just had an incredibly positive analyst meeting last week where you can detect that they, really, that they're going to have unbelievable numbers in the next year. What happened? Stock initially rallied. Since then, it's been straight down. Sellers seem to be everywhere. Why? Because they're convinced Marriott can't stay this good. We've had some terrific numbers from the cruise lines. They're packed. Prices going up. Stocks? Morgan Stanley crushed them today with estimate cuts for Royal Caribbean, Norwegian Cruise, and Carnival. Who cares now that they're doing well? It doesn't matter. Morgan Stanley's positing that, you know what, things can't hold up. Booking momentum is slightly stronger in September, but it didn't matter to the analyst. Forecasts come down. Finally today, the Bears got to the greatest bargain of all time, which is Airbnb, in a piece entitled Taking a Break from Travel. He banked down, graded Airbnb for buy to hold. Why? It had a long period of strength. It can't stay this good. Even once again, as pricing remains firm. The last to go. Well, we haven't heard cuts yet on booking holdings, a.k.a. Priceline. There's still tremendous bullshit in the name as it cuts the cost of travel. But you know what? I think it's just a matter of time before the bears mill on this one, too. Now, here's what I think. When I look at the facts, there's no diminution of travel right now. None. I know fuel costs have gone up. That matters. I don't like the credit card interest rate going higher. But I don't believe that all of these companies are going to have down years in 2024, like the analysts are telling me. I don't think the long on money, short on time thesis has changed that much. Consumer behavior hasn't shifted that much. What's really changed is Wall Street, which has gotten very negative on everything, including stocks that made a, maybe don't even deserve it. But in the end, it doesn't matter. Unless interest rates go down, we've seen the last of the travel bull market. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Kramer on this podcast are solely Kramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Kramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Kramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Kramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer.
It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.